Is that better? Can you hear me better? Okay, good. Um, when you've got a, a background of open-air preaching, you have a tendency to just forget about the mic. Um, but anyway, you're, you're blessed, and I hope that you're counting those blessings. And I'm not talking about perfect pastors, perfect staff, perfect people, because the only perfect person I know is Jesus. And the rest of us are a progress, a work in progress. Amen? So, uh, so it's my blessing to be here with you. Um, can I put my two cents worth in about Clint? I, I have the privilege of working with about 2,500 kids, Karen Sue and I do in our ministry every year. We're on 30-some campuses, high school and middle school campuses and down the hill. And um, I'm here to tell you that there is an incredibly desperate need for young people to know about Jesus today. Uh, and it was bad before the, the you know, COVID uh, pandemic, but it has gotten so bad, it's horrible. The incidence of anxiety and depression that has gone up in youth are, are through the roofs. Um, we work with kids all the time that are struggling, that are having hard times right now. Good kids, you know, that, that don't understand how to connect anymore. And it's, it is just really sad. And so for you to, as a church, to recognize the need you have, to find somebody on staff that will start organizing and reaching out to, to the kids in this community, bless you for doing that. And I love what I see in his heart. Uh, you can see he's got an incredible love for Jesus and for kids. What a blessing, huh? And, and also, I happen to have known your pastor since he was a young knucklehead and, uh, and had the privilege of kind of watching him grow up and, and the Lord grow him up. Boy, you want to talk about a guy that has come a long way and that absolutely adores you. You know, when I talk to him, he can't, he always talks about how, how he loves you, how, how he just absolutely loves you. And that's not easy coming into a church behind someone that has founded and grown and loved uh, this church the way that your pastor previously has. So I hope that you've got grace for him and, and praying for him and encouraging him and the rest of your staff too, because it's not easy being green. That's, oh, Kermit said that, didn't he? It's not easy being a pastor, that's for sure. So anyway, that's not what I came to talk about today. Uh, what I wanted to talk to you about is, since next week is what? What is next Sunday? Father's Day, yes. So I thought it would be kind of fun to be able to share some lessons that my Heavenly Father uh, has taught me through the years and how it's changed my life and can change yours. And also uh, even correlate that a little bit to my earthly father. I'll tell you a little bit about my dad. Uh, my dad was uh, an interesting man. Uh, he graduated from high school. No, he didn't. He dropped out of high school after one year. And he did that because he lost his mom. She died when, she was, when he was 10. And there were a lot of kids left in the family. So at 15 years old, he had to go out on his own and, and care for himself because there was not enough dollars to go around to, the, to feed the, the number of mouths in, in the family. And so my dad grew up not really knowing love, not growing any of those, those things, and just had to work for himself. He was a veteran from World War II. He fought in World War II and the European uh, um, uh, area over there and didn't like to talk about that as much as I probed. It was one of those things he just kind of didn't want to share a lot about that, and I'm sure if you know somebody of that era, that's not uncommon. Um, my dad owned a dry cleaners. He, he, ground, he started a dry cleaning unit and, and built it up. 
until he became incredibly successful at it. It was in Bakersfield. People in L.A. used to drive their clothes down to Bakersfield to have my dad do them. Uh, but it wasn't easy getting there. Uh, my dad, when he spoke, it was the law. You know, so that's why I always ask my mom first for everything. <laughs> I wasn't a dummy. Uh, but he did. And, but he was a man of integrity. Uh, he found a way to be able to make things work. And so it was good growing up with him. A couple of funny things that he taught me growing up. He taught me how to make a slingshot. I can make the best slingshot in the world. Out of a hanger, some rubber bands, and a piece of leather. I am not kidding. Great slingshots. Uh, if you want to see me afterwards, I can give you the, the, the clues on this. Uh, taught me how to be able to uh, take, remember wooden matchsticks, the big long wooden matchsticks? Taught me how to, my mom was gone during this time. Uh, uh, big wooden matchsticks and throw them across and hit the side of the house and light them. Uh, it was awesome. It was fun. We were, didn't burn anything down. Uh, and remember the wooden spools that you used to get thread on, the big ones? Yeah, he taught me how to make a tractor out of that with matchsticks and rubber bands and things that would run on itself. Kind of fun things along that line. I uh, just kind of wanted you to be able to know a little bit about the man that I'll be referring to in occasions too. But that's not why I'm here. I didn't, it's not what I want to talk about. Let's talk about those, those lessons. But before I get into those lessons, I need to tell you this. Uh, Romans 8.1. Anybody tell me what Romans 8.1 says? No, nah, I don't want to take a chance. Romans 8.1, good verse, really important for us to remember this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus this morning? That means no condemnation for you. No condemnation. So many times we sit in church or we hear a message and we feel so condemned. Oh, I'm such a failure. I'm not there yet. I'm not the dad I'm supposed to be, the mom I'm supposed to be. I'm not the friend I'm supposed to be. I'm not the, you know, Christian I'm supposed to be. And so we just get beat up and it causes us to lose our hope and the enemy's got us under his thumb. That's why the Lord reminded us, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is, however, conviction by the Spirit. The conviction by the Spirit is there to be able to say, look, you're outside of the sweet spot with Jesus. Let's move you back where the blessings are. You know, and, and there's no condemnation there. Let's just move over here, confess it, agree with God that it's wrong, and move into the, to the spot that he wants you to be. So as we're talking this morning, if something hits you and goes, ooh, ooh, if it's conviction, praise God because he's moving you back into the sweet spot, right? And you can anticipate good blessings coming out of that. But do not let that be condemnation, because that's the enemy coming after you. Do I hear an amen on this? All right. That was pretty good. I like that. Okay, first lesson I want to share with you that the Lord taught me is focus equals power. Driving down the middle of the street down, you know, here many, many years ago, and all of a sudden pop in my head, focus equals power. And you know how sometimes the thought comes in your head, and you go, you know it's from Jesus, and I'm going, oh, focus equals power? Well, okay, I guess that's probably true. And then I started thinking about it a little bit, and I realized, yeah, you know, when you take diffused light and you focus it into a, a laser, it cuts through steel like a hot knife through butter. You know, when you focus water that's rolling down the mountainside, you, you can appreciate that, right? Uh, into a stream, stream bed, it can, it, much power that it moves rocks and trees and even a house if it happened to be in the way. Focus equals power. That's something important for us to remember. But then he went on, he said, and the things you focus on have power over you. Mm. Wow. So what is he really saying about that? Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks within himself, so is he. 
The things that you are thinking about focusing on are the things that are shaping you and molding you into its image. Wow. Either Majo Deo, the image of God, Majo Christos, the image of Christ, or Majo Mundo, the image of the world. What are you focused on today? I think if most of us were honest, we're focused on ourselves. <laughs> so we're perpetuating ourselves. And are we really happy with that? I know Jesus isn't because he's wanting us to continually progress to be transformed. Romans 12:2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The things you're focused on thinking about are the things that are shaping you and molding you into their image. We see in, Je- in Jeremiah 2.5 that they walked after emptiness and they became empty. In uh, 2 Kings 17.15, it says that they walked at, that they followed after a vanity and became a vain. Same word translated different ways as same word as the emptiness word. What we follow after, what we walk after, what we focus on, who and what we're becoming. Wow. Who's got your focus today? Is it the world? Are you focused on all the, the incredibly difficult things going on around us right now? If you do, you're going to be living in fear. Instead of the perfect love of Christ. And perfect love of Christ casts out all fear. If we're focused on Jesus, it changes all of that. It's not like Jesus isn't, uh, is going to be caught on guard, off, you know, off guard with all the stuff that's going on around us. It's part of his plan. He knows what's going on with this. And if we, as the church, would buy into this, where Jesus is saying, put your focus on me and what I've called you to do, who I've called you to be, it'll change everything in your joy factor and your peace and the ability that you've got to face the things around you. Do I hear an amen on that? Incidentally, Hebrews 12.2 tells us that uh, we need to fix our eyes upon Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus builds our faith. And it's our faith that we get saved by grace through faith. It's, it's our faith that moves mountains. You know, we can say to that mountain, move, you've got the faith of a mustard seed that's about this big. What is your mountain of circumstance? Faith that allows you to be able to do that. It, Jesus said, truly, truly, he who believes in me shall do the things that I do and even greater things than these. What? He raised the dead. You know, I mean, all these things that he did. And he's given us that ability as we put our faith in him. He is the author and perfecter of that faith. He's the source of that faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. And he is the word of God, the living word of God. And he gives us the written word of God that expresses who he is and his will in all of these things. So let's put our focus on Jesus. Let's quit listening to the enemy and, and take our focus off of the bitterness and the jealousy and the anger and the, and the unforgiveness and the, and the problems of the world and put them back on Jesus and watch him lift us above those things. Is this a good lesson? This is a good lesson. Aren't you glad you came this morning? That was one of those good lessons that the Lord taught me. Second lesson that he, oh, let me give you a couple of scriptures to go with that too. Uh, now, let's just go on. Uh, the second thing, lesson that the Lord taught me was the importance of hard work. I look around this room, and I bet all of you understand that. But we've got a world full of people out there that have got no clue about hard work. They think, you know, hard work is a curse. But work is a blessing that God has given us. It's a divine attribute. Did you ever think about that? Jesus worked in creation. Six days he was working, making all of us and all this stuff. You know, and then on the seventh day, he rested. It's a divine attribute. When we are working, we are reflecting the nature of God, especially when we're doing it as unto him. 
Work is an important thing. It feels so good to work hard and see the fruit of our labor. Does it not? So we need to get back to that. And we have taught our children through this pandemic that work is not a good thing. You don't need to work. And we've taught the people in this country, let the government give you money. Let the government take care of it. You don't need to be working. Take your leisure. And we've robbed people of the worth and their value and the, the joy and the blessing that comes from working hard, using the talents and the skills and the abilities that God has given us. We see in Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the sluggard puts him to death for his hands refuse to work. I love this in the New Living uh, uh, Translation, Ephesians 6, 6 through 8. Work hard. Remember, the Lord will reward you, each of us, for the good that we do. The Lord will reward you for the good that you do. So work hard. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, verily do it with all of your might. Don't do it flippantly. Don't do it half-heartedly. Get in and let's get her done. Get her done to the glory of Jesus. It feels so good when we do that. It's not enough to talk about it. We do that really well today. We talk about, oh, I could do this, and I could do that, and I used to do this. And Hey, you know what the Lord says about that? Proverbs 14, 23. In all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Let's don't talk about it anymore without doing it. That's where we need to be. Two birds in a cage. You ready for this? Two birds in a cage. Somebody walks by and opens the door. One of the birds decides to fly away. Hmm. How many birds are left in the cage? Give it to you one more time. Two birds in a cage. Somebody walks by and opens the door. One of the birds decides to fly away. How many birds are left in the cage? How many of you say one? How many of you say two? There's two birds in the cage because deciding isn't doing. Ah, we get the point, huh? So many of us are still stuck in the cage because we're deciding, but we're not doing anything about it. It's time, my brothers and sisters, to listen to the Holy Spirit who is nudging us to clean the garage, to lead our, our family to Jesus, to, to go do something special for my neighbor next door, to invite him to church, to, to, um, uh, to fix the sprinklers and fix that leaking toilet and whatever it is that he's nudging you to be able to do, let's do it. Knowing that there's a blessing in it, God's got a plan and a purpose in it, whether it's something simple or something profound, let's do that. God will honor you and bless you in that. 2 Corinthians 8.11 says, but now finish doing it with all diligence. Just as there was a desire to do it, there must be a completion of it with all your ability. Let's not be a bird in a cage. Amen on that? That was pretty weak. Amen on that? Okay, that was a little better. My dad did that. And incidentally, can I suggest to you that it's not enough to do this hard work, we need to do the hard, we need to do the hard things first. Do the hard things first. Get them out of the way. You know, James 1 tells us that hard, the hard things make us perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Get the hard things done. You feel so good afterwards. And when you don't, it's in the back of your head gnawing and gnawing and gnawing and gnawing and, bug, and bugging you and rot, just kind of robbing you of the energy and the power that when you finally acquiesce and get around to doing it, you don't have the wherewithal that Jesus gave you at the time that he was nudging you. You hear me, church? So let's just not do the hard things and do work hard, but let's do the hard things first. It's a great thing to show our kids also. That's an amen on that one. 
So my dad was that way, incidentally. My dad was one of the hardest working men I've ever seen. You know, he worked 12 to 14 hours a day, uh, six days a week. Um, but he knew that that's what he needed to do to be able to make his family successful and provide for them. Never complained once. Never once did I ever hear my dad complain about that. In fact, he seemed to embrace it and, and love it. Uh, and, he, and with that little time left over, he made sure that it was always really good with us as a, as a family, that he was doing things to be able to make a difference there in our lives. Third lesson that my dad, my heavenly father taught me, my dad modeled this also, is our words matter. Our words matter. Our words matter. So say what you mean and mean what you say. Do you know that Jesus refers to himself as what? The word of God. He's the living word of God, and he has given us the written word of God. And it's the written word of God that helps us build a relationship with the living word of God. But he calls himself the word. Do you think that words are important to him? Do you think that they matter to him? We live in a world today that is constantly making comments flippantly. Oh, sure, I'll be there. We don't show up. I'll get it done by Friday. Mm, Wednesday we get the call. Uh, uh, I, uh, gee, uh, uh, I know I said I would have it by Friday, but I'll, I'll try to get it by next Friday. Then we get another call. That's not who Jesus has called us to be. He's called us to be men and women of our word. And that means that we need to stop and think before we open our mouths. You know, count the cost, as the scripture tells us, to be able to say, what do we need to be doing here? What, when can I really? I am notoriously a hoptimist. I'm not an optimist. I'm a hoptimist. I'm a happily anticipating the good that Jesus is going to do in every situation. And as a hoptimist, I have a tendency to be able to go, I could get it done. And this time, always takes more time. My wife's over here going, hallelujah, I hope you're listening to your own preaching. Uh, you know, it always takes more time. But I want to be able to give you the good news. Better to under-promise and over-deliver. True? So give yourself a little more room on this so that you can come into your word that when you say it, and you know, when that is such a good thing, husbands, I'm going to talk to you especially today, when, when you say to your wife, I'll get it done by Friday, and it's not done by Friday, how prone is she to believe you the next time? Oh. And we don't understand why she's so upset and seems to be kind of chipping away and nagging me to get it done. I said I'd get it done by Friday. That's what she said the last time, and the time before that, and the time before that. But if we would be men of our word and get it done then, when we say we'll get it done by Friday, they'll go, great, thank you so much. We're getting this? This is where Jesus wants us to be. We need to be men and women of, of, of the word. Uh, Matthew 5.37, I like this. This is a paraphrase out of the message. And it says, don't say anything you don't mean. Don't say anything you don't mean. Wow, that's a good, good thing to live by, right? Don't say anything you don't mean. Think about what you're going to, what you're saying before you say it. And make sure it'll line up with what you can do, what you can commit to, and be reasonable with it too. I had a friend of mine recently call and said, would you, would you read my book and, and, and write an endorsement for, for the book? And I said, my first thought was, yeah, sure, I can do that. 
And I looked at my schedule, and I'm working 14, 17 hours a day during that particular season. It's one of those fun days, fun seasons. And I thought to myself, yeah, tell him I'll get to it next week. And the Lord nudged me. And I didn't ignore the nudge. And, I, and he was actually talking to Karen Sue, and I said, tell him it'll be probably three or four weeks before I can get to it. And if he's okay with that, I would love to do it. So freeing. So freeing to be able to do that. That's where we need to be, brothers and sisters. That's where Jesus wants us to be. Matthew 12, 36 says, I say to you that every careless word that you speak, that men shall speak, they shall render an account of it in the day of judgment. God says our words matter. Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouth speak. Our, our mouth, our words are a reflection of what's going on in our hearts. And Jesus wants us to be able to focus our hearts on him Focus on him so that he can change our hearts so that our words can match who he is and who he's called us to be. And so if we speak a word and it shouldn't be spoken, grab hold of it. Sometimes you're speaking it, and as you're speaking it, you're wanting to go, no. You ever done that? I've done that. But just stop and go, whoa, whoa. I don't know where that came from. That's not true. That's not real. Wait, wait. I'm so sorry. And speak the truth. You know, change it right then and there. Don't let the enemy even have an opportunity for that. Pop said, said it, and it never changed. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Ephesians 4, 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good according to the need of the moment for the building up of the body of Christ, that it might give grace to the hearer. Hmm, no unwholesome word, to only words that build up, that it might give grace. Grace is undeserved favor. They don't deserve my encouragement. They're doing a great job on their own. They don't deserve my blessing. They're doing a great job on their own. God's asked us to be speaking that way to one another, to encourage one another and build one another up. First Thessalonians, in fact, talks about that very thing. First Thessalonians 5.11 says that we are to encourage one another and build one another up. Let's use our tongues to be able to start doing that. Ad hominem is, the, is the, the norm today. Personal attack. Whether it be through political realm, through social media, whatever it is. It's constantly going around us. And, and the enemy is winning big time. Let's change that one life at a time. Here I am, Lord. Start with me. Let's be the encouragers. Let's be the edifiers. Let's remind people who they really are. Do I hear an amen on that? Okay, second, or the third, or fourth lesson. Whoa, I'm really getting it along here. Okay, I gotta hurry. Be a giver, not just a taker. Be a giver, not just a taker. We see in Acts 20, 35, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Isn't it? We need to be giving, you know, and I loved, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I love when you get ready to give your tithe, you all go, whoop! I just go, I'm going to take that, and I, every church I preach in from now on, I am going to be sharing that. All my pastor friends, I'm going to be telling them about that. It's a great thing, because it's a joy to give, a blessing, and we need to be reminded by it, and what a great way to be able to do that. But here's my question. Are we joyfully giving? A lot of us will probably say, yeah, yeah, I, I do. I, I give my tithe to the Lord, I, and I feel really good about it. I've seen that there's a blessing in doing that. Awesome. I'd like to challenge you a little deeper. 
What else are you giving? Ooh. What else do you have to give? A lot. The value of something is determined by its cost. Lord laid me that on me a long time ago. What are you willing to pay for it? Shows you the value of it. Are, are, do we, are, are we giving the widow's mite? Were the two copper coins that Jesus said when you were watching in the treasury that said she gave everything, so she gave more, everything she had, versus the, the really rich people that gave large chunks, but they gave out of their abundance. She gave out of her lack. Are we doing that? We can all give more than we've given. And I'm not talking about money right now. So often we throw money after things when really what Jesus wants us to do is give our time. Do you know I spell love T-I-M-E? It's true, though. What a great way to show somebody that you love them is give time for them. What's the opposite of love? What's the opposite of love? It's not hate. If you hate me, you still have an emotional attachment to me. The opposite of love is indifference. You do not exist in my universe. Talk to the hand. Let's take the time to get to know each other. Take the time to be able to smile. Take the time to say thank you. Take the time to say, hey, what's going on in your life? Take the time to be able to help somebody. Say, hey, I can come help you move. I can come help you plant that. I can come help you wash your car. I can come help you this. I can come help you get in the word of God. I can help you. You can call me and we'll pray together. I can come help you. Let's give our time the things that matter. What a difference that would make everywhere if, if we as Christians were known that we give love by giving our time to the people. And your talents. Every one of us have a gift, different gifting, spiritual gifts and, and, and natural gifts that we have, uh, vocational gifts that we have that we could use. Well, my gifts are not really, really good. Really? How many of you in here bake? Let me tell you what. You're on the top of my list as far as tally goes. I'm serious. When somebody drops by chocolate chip cookies or, or, you know, whatever it is at my house, oh, yeah, Holy Spirit happy dance. It's good. You can take a batch of cookies with a note and a scripture and drop it off to your neighbor and say, hey, I just was thinking about you and praying for you. wanted you to know I love you. Thanks for being my neighbor. You think that won't make a profound impact on them? Especially when a little later the Lord nudges you to invite them to church. You know, or, or they think I'm going through this hard thing and going, wow, she's praying for me. And I, I pick up the, could, I'm, I'm going through this hard, could you pray for me? I hate it when I lose it. It's where we need to be, church. It's who Jesus is calling us to be. So give our talents, give our time. You know, we, we can give encouragement. We can give smile. I never go into a restaurant without stopping on my way out and around the kitchen and yelling in there, hey, thanks, you guys. Dinner was awesome. Lord bless you. And it's so funny because I go, hey, thanks, you guys. And it's like, and then when I tell them that, they just like, and you see them turn joyfully to each other and discuss it. What does it take me to do that? Maybe an extra 30 seconds of my life. What a difference it makes. You know, when, when I'm paying for my gas, if I happen to be inside instead of outside on that, to be able to, walk, just to look up and say, hey, thank you so much, Lord bless you. I pronounced a blessing upon them. 
It's, it is amazing. People are there going out, thanks a lot. Oh, thank you. I've had people next to him in line, next to me in line going, well, are you going to bless me too? We can do this. Let's be the ones that are there to be able to be givers and not simply takers. Okay, i got to get going here. I'm never going to make it. Okay, the next thing that the Lord taught me, and that is failure is only failure when you stay there. Failure is only failure when you stay there. Otherwise, it's another step towards success. You get this? God has not called you to be a failure. And let me tell you another thing with that. Failure does not define you. Watch my lips. Failure does not define who you are. Only Jesus has that right. Your friends don't. Your spouse doesn't. Your kids don't. Your, the people around you that you work with, they do not define you. Jesus defines you. Well, if you only knew my life. doesn't matter. Because you've made boneheaded decisions and choices and, and along that line, that doesn't matter. That doesn't change who Jesus has made you to be. You may not be operating in that yet, but it's time to. Start seeking him and find out who he's called you to be and what he's called you to do. And start believing that. Listen to the truth of what God says about you louder and longer than you've been listening to the lie. It talks about in Romans 1. And not only that, but it's time for us to start speaking that to our kids. I asked Jesus when my kids were growing up who they were. I said, Lord, you told me to be an under-shepherd of them. They're really your kids. It sounds for reason, that stands for reason that I should know who they are and what they, what they need. And so I started asking him, and I started speaking that into their lives louder and longer than, than the enemy brought him. I remember Ryan, my son, when he went through one of his greatest failures in college, and he called me, and, and we talked for a while, and he's, you know, just kind of, you could tell he's just destroyed. And, and I said, but I, there's only one thing I got to tell you. He goes, what? And I said, what Jesus told me to tell you a long time ago when you were 13, that my ministry will wane in comparison to yours. started sobbing. How can you say that? I said, I'm not the one that says it. Jesus says, but this is who you are. This is who you are. And because I was able to speak the truth in his life louder and longer than the, than the, than the enemy had, and, and his mom doing that too, it changed everything. He's a pastor of a church that is absolutely blowing up. Thousands of people coming there every Sunday. If he would have let his failure define him, the world would have lost much. Do not let the enemy or your failures define you. Did you hear me, church? You start finding out who Jesus has called you to be. And then let's start speaking that into each other's lives also. When my kids made a mistake when they grew up, when they were growing up, I looked at them and I said, I don't know how you got, well, actually, I probably do know how you got here. Wrong choices, but let me remind you who you are. This isn't who you are. This is who you are. You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. You've been called to the, to the pulpit. You've been called to, to be a great disciple. You've been called. This is who Jesus called you to be. And my goodness, who doesn't want to hear that when you're in the middle of making boneheaded decisions that somebody's believing the best in you? We need to believe louder and longer than, than they can believe. You know, when they're, remember Moses when he was fighting the Amalekites and Joshua was down there and the Lord says, as long as you keep your hands up, the staff lifted, then you'll win. He's an old man. 
Battle went on all day long. He started getting tired. They started losing the battle. Aaron and Hur came alongside, sat on this rock, and they held his hands up, held the staff up, and they won. They won the victory that day. Let's be Aaron and Hur for one another. When you have a hard time believing, let me help you believe. Let me help remind you who you are, that failure does not define you. Amen on this? Okay, I've got time for one more quick one. Whoop. Which one do I do? Okay, I'm going to do this one. Yatibia le bleu. Yatibia le bleu. Yatibia le bleu. Why are you looking and laughing at me? Why are you looking like I lost my mind? Do you not hear me? I just said Yatibia le bleu. I told you I loved you in Russian. Ah. All of us speak different love languages. And we need to learn each other's love languages. When the Lord said that we are to love one another, love our neighbor as ourselves, we are to love the way that he loved. Matthew 22 and, and, and uh, uh, John, John, that's horrible. I'll get to it in a minute. It'll come to me. Uh, Jesus is calling us to love one another. But how can I love you if I don't speak your language I can be saying, yeah, Tibia Le Blue all day long, and you'd be laughing at me. And finally, you'll just be going, you're such an idiot. I'm not listening to you anymore. We do that with one another. So we need to learn each other's love languages. What does it make you feel loved? Is it a hug? Is it a physical touch? Is it words of encouragement or affirmation? Is it, is it respect? Is it a note? Is it whatever it is? We need to ask each other, what makes you feel most loved? So that we can start speaking that language to each other. And then we need to help each other understand what our love languages are. My dad, when I was growing up, never hugged me, never said, I love you. But he was at every one of my football games, every one of my plays, every one of my award ceremonies. Every one, I mean, he was at all of them. When I walked out the door to go on a date, he said, do you need any money? Never once did he fail on that. Praise God, I never had to ask But that's, that was his love language, his way of being able to do that. I knew that I was loved by my dad. Later, incidentally, I taught him how to hug and taught him my love language. And boy, he went crazy on it. It It's like my mom's here in this ear, my dad's in this ear. And it's like, whoa. (laughs) Are we ready for that church? Do you know your spouses and your kids' love languages? Let's find out what it is. What a fun thing to do. Ask Jesus to help you see. Because most of us won't even know what that is. And that will change everything. Do I hear an amen on that? Okay. Now I have the privilege of being able to do communion with you. And I loved being able to do that. If the ushers want to come forward and grab the elements, you can do that. Clint, you coming up too? I love that. That's especially good. You know, communion is a perfect way to be able to end this message, I think, because it's all about Jesus, isn't it? Do you know what the highest mountain is that we climb in life? Getting over ourselves. Isn't it? Isn't it true? And, and Jesus said that if we're going to follow him, we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross, die to ourselves. So we need to be able to do that. Well, this whole message is about, it's not about us. Where's our focus supposed to be? On Jesus. And it's on what Jesus did for us. And so I'm going to pray for the elements in just a minute. And while they're passing them out, I want to share a little bit from the word and, and kind of prepare our hearts for that. You okay with that? Okay, Father, thank you for... Oh, gosh, Lord, this time together with these amazing men and women. Lord, help them to see the truth of that. 
Lord, thank you for this church and your blessing upon it. And Lord, we pray that you would expand it and increase it. I pray for the youth program that it would just, you'd be blowing the doors off the hinges because people would be coming in by the droves. Lord, I really feel like that, that Clint's the one that's going to be leading this. And I pray for your hand of blessing upon him and in the team that he assembles. Lord, I pray for Jeff, their pastor. And Lord, pray that you would bless him and encourage him. Thank you that you've given him such a love for this flock. And Lord, I just pray that um, as we take communion now, that we'll remember more than just uh, your act on the cross, which is, Lord, more than anything. But Lord, that you would touch us in a special way as we view this that you've done for us through the lessons that you've taught us today and the hope that you've given us and the, and the life that you call us to live as we follow these things. So bless our time now. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So as they're passing them out, if y'all just hold the elements, we'll take them all together. This is out of 1 Corinthians 11. I'm sure that you know it already. Verse uh, 22, it starts off and it says, actually it was started in 23. And the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took the bread. And when he had broken it, he gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the, is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. You ever thought about why he uses those two, those two particular elements? They were everyday things that everybody in that culture had. You had wine every day. You had bread every day. He took something seemingly so common to ask us to remember something so extraordinary. But if you think about it, how do we get the wine? And wine, incidentally, is, is frequently represented as a symbol of joy in the scripture. And it satisfies the thirst that we have. And the better the wine, the better the satisfaction, the greater the joy. How do we get that wine? It was grapes cut in the prime of their life and taken and crushed and the very lifeblood squeezed out of them so that they can become something extraordinarily special to satisfy our thirst and bring us joy. Is that not what Jesus has done for us? And even the bread, the bread is the wheat that was, was taken down at, at its prime. And it too was crushed and kneaded to satisfy the hunger of man, the emptiness inside of us. So we're no longer emptiness, the thing we fear the most, which only Jesus can fill. So I'm hoping today as we partake of this, that you don't think of this as just something that Jesus did back then, but that's something, the reason he wanted us to remember is to say, look, I am here doing this every single moment of your life. If you'll put your focus on me, if you'll seek me first and let me add the rest unto you in your life, the joy, the satisfaction, exceedingly abundantly, all, all beyond all you could ask 
or think. That's where Jesus wants to be with us today. Do I hear an amen on that? So why don't we partake of this? Let's take the bread and say, thank you, Jesus, for your body that was crushed for us. But Lord, even more than that, thank you that you're alive and that you dwell in me and that you have plans and a future for me, not for calamity, but for future and hope to make me someone special that will honor you and bless those around me. So thank you, Lord, for what you did in your body. Let us partake. It says, then he took the cup after supper. It says, this is my cup of the new covenant with you. New covenant, new promise, new agreement. That new agreement, it is no longer by your might nor your power, but by my spirit in you. It's not about you. It's about me and you. Let me have the reins. Let me be the Lord. Use my strength and my power to do what I've called you to do. Come dwell in the sweet spot with me so I can use you to make a difference in the world around you, to change the lives around you, to fulfill this hunger that you have for significance, to make a difference. And it doesn't matter your age, your IQ, your look, your talent, your articulation. It's all about me anyway. So come, just as you partake of this and you're, you're drinking it and comes in the inside of you, let me come inside of you and fill you with my spirit. Father, we invite that, I invite you to do that very thing. Thank you, Jesus, for this new covenant. Father, we thank you for the blessing of this morning. And that which is of you, we pray that you'd let it linger indelibly, sweetly, wonderfully, life-changingly written on our hearts and our minds. And Lord, help us not to lose that focus ever, but to continue to expand it and grow in our relationship with you. Lord, may you bless all that are here. May you bless this crew up at Hume. And Lord, may you bless this church mightily in this community. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Thanks so much.